when I first got here was primarily to introduce shoulder replacements. So just like some folks replace hips and knees, replacing shoulders is really what, what I wanted to do and what I was recruited to do. And it took me about five minutes into my first clinic to understand that the party line in Memphis at that time was that you either went to Mayo Clinic to get your shoulder done or you didn't do it because it didn't work. And that was a very interesting narrative that I'm, I'm happy to say I think has been undone. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. And I'm your host, Sam Coates. Over a century years old, Campbell Clinic physicians are recognized national and international leaders in the field of orthopedics. With engaging conversations and stories, you'll hear how our physicians integrate the latest orthopedic treatments and medical advancements in musculoskeletal care through their continued and ongoing clinical research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's operative orthopedic textbook. To learn more about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com. And for more podcast episodes, search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Hey, everyone. We have a first for today on this podcast. Our guests today are Dr. Quinn Throckmorton and Dr. Tyler Brolin. Dr. Throckmorton and Dr. Brolin are shoulder and elbow surgeons here at the Campbell Clinic, and they are two-time winners of the prestigious Charles Neer Award which recognizes outstanding clinical and basic science investigations contributing to the understanding care or prevention of injuries to the shoulder. Dr. Throckmorton attended Vanderbilt University. He did medical school at the University of Iowa and his residency at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. He also did his fellowship at the Mayo Clinic, plus much more. Dr. Brolin attended Concordia College He went to medical school at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine. He did his residency at the UT Campbell Clinic, and he did his fellowship at Rothman Institute, where he was named Researcher of the Year. So join us on this episode where you will hear, as the world gets more globally connected, why it matters more now than ever for orthopedic surgeons to learn from each other and advance the field of orthopedics. The past, present, and future of the shoulder specialty and why shoulder replacements are increasing at such an exponential rate, how they are making a difference in reducing fighting against the opioid epidemic, plus so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Quinn Throckmorton and Dr. Tyler Brolin. Dr. Throckmorton, great to see you. Dr. Brolin, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, thanks. Dr. Throckmorton, earlier before we started recording, you were talking about Mayo, talking about your fellowship there. And obviously, Mayo has a really strong reputation, but so does Campbell Clinic. Could you maybe talk about maybe the history and the relationship between Campbell Clinic and Mayo that maybe people like myself may not know about? Yeah, I think it's a really unique relationship and is uh, probably not really well, not well known out there. It turns out that the Campbell Clinic and the Mayo Clinic go way back, and this this is going back to the 1930s when orthopedics was just a fledgling specialty. So 
Our governing organization, which is the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, uh, was formed around that time, and Willis Campbell was one of the founding members, but so was a, a doctor named Henderson, who was at uh, Mayo Clinic at that point. And Dr. Henderson, I, I believe, I believe, served as the initial president of the academy, but was not elected. And then Willis Campbell was the first elected president of the academy. And, and since then, there has been uh, lots of traffic back and forth, both for back in the uh, uh, 50s and 60s, there would be cases that would go back and forth uh, between the two centers to, to discuss what should be done with uh, particularly difficult problems. And in our area of shoulder and elbow surgery, we had a long-running discussion here with the uh, with the Mayo folks about the pro- about the best way to approach the elbow surgically. So that so our our, our relationship really go, goes back a long way. And then Dr. Mori, who was my mentor in in elbow surgery at the Mayo Clinic, he has had a great relationship with uh, most of our leadership here over over the years as well. So our fates have been intertwined, and we've been we've also um, been together on several. Uh, multi-institutional uh, organizations aside from the academy. So th- th- there's a lot there. Just to follow up on that, you know, it's my understanding that with Campbell Clinic, with both of you, you're the only specialists with shoulder and elbow here within a 200-mile radius of Memphis, Tennessee, correct? That's right. And you were the first one here. Dr. Brolin was the second. But could you maybe share what it was like when you got here close to two decades ago when the mentality and the thought and the bias was like you don't do shoulder elbow surgery here in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting time because my um, my charge when I first got here was primarily to introduce shoulder replacements. So just like some folks replace hips and knees, replacing shoulders is really what what I wanted to do and what I was recruited to do. And um, it, it took me about five minutes into my first clinic to understand that the party line in Memphis at that time was that you either went to Mayo Clinic to get your shoulder done or you didn't do it because it didn't work. And that was a very interesting narrative that I'm, I'm happy to say I think has been undone. And that's in no small part to the work that Ty has done and, and others. So uh, just it's more a matter of trying to you do what you do and take good care of people. And hopefully the word of mouth builds on itself. So Campbell Clinic saw an opportunity, saw a need, recruited you, and then really wanted to change that narrative here. And then obviously Dr. Brolin was able to come in and give both of you the ability to see more and more patients. And and you're still the only specialist here in this market. Is that fair, Dr. Brolin? Yeah, it's not that people weren't doing shoulder surgery, but uh, our task with the, the Memphis area is to take shoulder surgery to another level. So we are very comprehensive of what we can offer. And just uh, taking a page out of the hip and knee uh, surgeons who really have focused and done a really good job of increasing uh, the outcomes and decreasing the complications rate with hip and knee replacements, so have shoulder surgeons. And still, you know, the vast majority of, of shoulder replacements done is, are done from surgeons that do less than 20. And, you know, with our focus is, is high volume and, and that drives outcomes. And so we think that, you know, concentrating just on the shoulder uh, and the elbow then we can uh, devote, uh, you know, our, our entire career of, of trying to answer questions as well as providing unsurpassed clinical care. And you did your fellowship here 
Uh, I did my fellowship up at Rothman, and okay. so my, I did my residency training down at uh, down here, uh, and then went up to Philadelphia where I, where I uh, did my shoulder fellowship. And, and Quinn had talked about their previous relationships with with other institutions and Mayo Clinic, and and Rothman Institute is one of the leaders in musculoskeletal care. But it's not only we get to learn from some of our mentors who are are giants in in the realm of shoulder surgery, but we've established these uh, connections that allow us to then collaborate with research as well as uh, we run meetings together where both of us are involved in, in, in a lot of education of other surgeons as well as trainees. And once again, the goal of to advance shoulder surgery. And both of you have been awarded the NEAR Award, correct? We, we've done it together. We do, yeah. we do our research together. Yeah, twice. Which is a big deal. And you're on the board, correct, Dr. Throckmorton, of the NEAR? Oh, I, I'm, a, I'm part of the NEAR circle, uh, which does not select that award. It's just a separate thing. The, the background on that is, um, is Charles NEAR is the father of shoulder surgery in this country. He was at Columbia. And a lot of things are named after him, <laughs> frankly. So the NEAR Award is, is given by the Shoulder and Elbow Society every year for the um, voted best research project of the year. But there's also the NEAR Circle, which is a group that attempts to put out a consensus statement every year about some controversial topic in shoulder and elbow surgery. So to your point, yes, I, I am involved with that uh, consensus statement. And then Dr. Brolin, you are Researcher of the Year at Rothman, correct? Yeah. Dr. Brolin, let's, let's start with you. Given the fact that you're not from Memphis, correct? Correct. What could you say about within your realm and within your space what can you say about Campbell Clinic and what can you say about its effort to recruit people like yourself, but to really try to just change the way orthopedics is being done for the better in ways that taking chances on people and bringing in people like yourself or Dr. Throckmorton to really try to give people an option and give people value in ways that they, they couldn't previous? Yeah, you know, Camel Clinic is unique. Uh, and so not only do we have the obligation of taking care of the Mid-South and and, uh, and our reach extends uh, wide uh, in this region of, of providing great uh, clinical care, but also, you know, it's set in our structure that is ingrained in us education. Uh, and part of that is is research. So it's not that we do research because we have to do research. We do research because we have questions that we want to answer. And there's certain problems that we face uh, in our practice that we don't know the answer to, and we want to find out the answer. And so there's plenty of times that, you know, we will try to talk with our colleagues at a meeting, uh, and we may come up with a research question there, or we may look in the literature and, and just not know the right answer on this. Is That's why we're trying to do this research, is to help the clinical care. But the unique thing about Campbell Clinic is really the emphasis on, on a well-rounded surgeon and provider. And what that means is, is being a leader in your field, uh, being a leader in orthopedics, as well as being a leader in research as well is shoulder surgery in this in this region. So we take that burden, you know, I shouldn't say burden, but that opportunity, and we try to emphasize with our daily work of really pushing the research question, pushing the leadership opportunities within different societies, as well as seeing as many patients as we can and taking care of them. As a follow-up to that, Dr. Brolin, when you came in and where you're at today, what are you seeing day in, day out that's most common with your patients that the main things each and every day that are with people coming in and, you know, for somebody listening to this that's maybe interested in coming to see you, 
uh, or that is feeling pain within your specialty, what's most common right now? And has that changed since when you first started? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question is, is when you look at it, the number of shoulder replacements that are being done year to year increases has been increasing exponentially, really is outpaced that of uh, hip and knee replacements. And so the need for uh, a shoulder replacement has continued to increase within within the patient population that we see. So and, and that will continue to increase for the foreseeable future. Uh, but some of the more common things that we see is rotator cuff tears, uh, which are uh, very common within the population. And almost a uh, sign of the aging process is the rotator cuff will wear out. And uh, a lot of patients will develop pain and dysfunction because of that. And it's really one of the uh, leading causes of morbidity, meaning pain and dysfunction uh, in the shoulder. Besides that, uh, we have an all-encompassing approach to the shoulder. So shoulder instability, shoulder fractures that uh, continue to increase just really because of word of mouth recognition. is That's probably the, the biggest ones that I would say. Uh, when do you have anything to yeah, add on I'd, that? I'd piggyback on that, especially regarding the rotator cuff, because that has such a bad name out there. You know, there's, there's so there's if not disinformation, at least uh, this very poor perception of it. And I would argue that rotator cuff disease has been revolutionized uh, within the last 15 or 20 years. When I was a resident and even a fellow, a massive rotator cuff tear or a large hole in the rotator cuff was the worst thing that you could see that day. It was miserable because nothing that we had at our disposal at that point to help them worked. And folks that had that problem, you either had to try to convince them not to have surgery, or if they were going to have surgery, you were going to do something that was going to be a long, hard surgery and probably not do well. Well, there is this uh, advent of this operation called the reverse total shoulder, which I think most are now aware of. And that has made an unfixable problem, not only fixable, but routinely fixable and easily fixable. So as a, as a comparison, where I feared massive rotator cuff tears when I was a resident and fellow, whenever I see one of those now in my clinic, that's a, that's a home run. I know I, I know I can have a good chance at helping this person type problem. When did that first become really an option that you saw? Well, it, boy, it, if you ever think you have an original thought in orthopedics, it means that you don't know German or um, <laughs> or um, you haven't studied your history. So the reverse was actually brought up in the 50s. I mean, in the 30s, it goes a long way back. But we just didn't have the technology that was able to, to make that type of implant stick. The modern iteration began in the 90s. And I, I joke sometimes that only the French could have come up with this idea of inverting the shoulder, right? But it, it became uh, FDA approved in the U.S. around 2004, 2005. And since then, it, it, as Ty had mentioned, shoulder replacements have skyrocketed. And that's almost exclusively due to the expanded use of the reverse replacement. And you started implementing that process procedure when? Uh, when I came here. Like, I, I, was, I was an early adopter of that operation. But uh, just as a comparison, that was a taboo procedure Going up even until like 2010 or 11, it was supposed to be a very, very few people could do it. You were only supposed to do it in very select situations. But just like most everything else with technology, as we get more comfortable with the technology and it continues to improve, you expand the use of that technology. And so uh, really from about 2012 onward, I, I would say that, that it's become pretty mainstream. And this is a reverse shoulder surgery Correct. that specifically 
solves the problem of the non-functional rotator cuff. To follow up on that, when you think about this community and people that travel in, why does that actually matter? When you take something that came out of Europe like that, or Germany, and you implement it within a few years after it even really came to the United States, what's worth talking about? It fixed an unfixable problem. And so the nice thing about orthopedics and medicine is that is that there is sharing of ideas. You know, we we're blessed to have a wide reach here at this institution, and we can go. We we knew these French surgeons, and we knew the early adopters or the pioneers in the United States, and we were able to learn from them and from each other, and then bring that bring that technology here, and frankly, help a group of patients that was not going to be helped otherwise. And how uncommon was that in the United States at that time? There was a time, well, when I was training yeah. and when I was in fellowship, there was only one center in the United States that was able, that was approved to do it. Dr. Brolin, I saw your head nodding a little bit just a second ago. Is there something there that you want to share? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the unique thing about orthopedics is we uh, interact with, uh, with industry and, and, and so there's constant evolution of technology. And, and so it's uh, being up to date with the with the new technology, the new procedures uh, that allows us uh, to treat our patients, and so it's really having the knowledge of that new and expanding technology, as well as knowing the right indications for that. Uh, that's how you help your community, and so a lot of it is with some of our relationships with other surgeons around the country and, and the world with these new ideas, and so we continue to expand, right? We talk about the reverse shoulder re- replacement as really revolutionized shoulder surgery. But, you know, even that procedure, which was done for, you know, rotator cuff uh, injuries or tears has really evolved into being the most common shoulder replacement being done. And, and some are, uh, a lot of surgeons are doing it for even bone on bone arthritis or osteoarthritis. So you see how you take a technology that may be novel at the time, and then it's quickly uh, adapted but you do it with due diligence, meaning you don't want to be cavalier with introducing this new technology. You have to, you have to really kind of vet the the process and and uh, and make sure it's it's right for your patients. Because ultimately, a lot of times we don't know what the right answer is until 15, 20 years down the line. So uh, there's a lot to go into to make some of these decisions. Yeah, I think it bears mentioning also a little bit about the history when it comes to the reverse. I mean, I, I talked about how it had been thought of earlier, but when the reverse was coming from Europe to the United States, there was a lot of resistance initially from American surgeons in terms of adopting this. And the reason was we were in kind of a dark time in shoulder surgery at that point. We were we were on the heels of several, uh, frankly, technological disasters where there had been early adopters of certain types of technology in shoulder surgery that didn't work. They didn't work out and, in fact, had pretty bad consequences. So people were doing their best for patients and trying to, to solve the problems, but, it, but the, the new toys weren't working, if you follow. So there was a lot of concern that the reverse was going to be the next catastrophic failure <laughs> you know, to, to make shoulder surgery you know, just you know, an orphan and, and nothing would work. So I've always tried to frame the initial resistance to adopting the reverse, like through that lens, so that people understand that there was the the resistance to adopting. It was not because people were being stubborn; it's because they had been burned. Could you share, Doctor Throckmorton, what are your own principles when you're thinking about innovation and evolving with 
the research and technology, but also making sure that you're thinking about the best interests of your patients. The nice thing about that question is that all that stuff melds together. What Ty said is exactly right. I mean, the reason that I do research and that we do research is is to solve clinical questions that are in front of us. And so it, it, be, it does come down to how do you take better care of patients, but then there's this intellectual curiosity that goes into solving the problem. And then once you have identified or at least studied the problem, then you can work towards trying to solve the problem, which uh, on occasion, as you say, does come towards innovation in some form. And sometimes that means changing structural processes like we did here when we first started moving towards um, moving total joint replacement out of the hospital and into the and making it an outpatient procedure. But there's also times when you have to innovate in collaboration with industry, as Ty said, and that's that's a big part of what we do here. He and I both work with uh, a couple of companies where we're trying to take these questions and then solve those problems with technology. Dr. Brolin, is there anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, it's it's either trying to solve a problem or uh, making a solution better. And so it may be a procedure, right? And a lot of this is, is at least in orthopedics, has gone kind of this minimally invasive route or minimizing uh, narcotics uh, after surgery. So, you know, this is what we've we've tried to r- really kind of hone down is is taking a procedure that may be good, but then making it better. And so that may be in in open operation that you make arthroscopic or maybe an arthroscopic operation that you make better, or it may be a processing, maybe, you know, like we've done with the shoulder replacements. A lot of people, especially in the Mid-South, had uh, issues with opioids. And so we developed an opioid sparing or, or near opioid free protocol after shoulder replacement. So where we know that was a rising problem, uh, there was a, a problem within the United States and particularly the Mid-South was hit uh, hard with narcotic uh, overdose and addiction. So just you know, taking that responsibility to your community as well as orthopedics uh, in shoulder surgery, uh, we we developed a opioid sparing protocol. And so now uh, the vast majority of our shoulder replacements have very few narcotics. And so it, that's just... That's just an example of, of it's just constantly evolving. And, and that's the good thing about medicine is you think you may have it solved, but there's always room for improvement. There's always room where we can take care of patients better in a more efficient, uh, cost-effective way. And so it's, it's constantly, you know, looking at it and taking a hard look in the mirror and say, how can I get better? How can we get better as shoulder surgeons? And that kind of really drives us in some of these processes. Yeah, I think that that's a great point of, about making processes better. And just, again, for some historical context, when when I first started practice, the average or the, the standard prescription for patients after any sort of sur- shoulder surgery was 100 Percocet. That's what, we, that's what we would give, and that was totally normal back then. With the studies that we've done, as Ty mentioned, with the opioid sparing protocol, the average number of pain pills that somebody takes after they go home is four. And 96% of our patients are off pain medicine by six weeks. So that, that's an example, I think, of when you take research to identify a problem, design a study to try to address the problem, and then, and then either significantly improve the process or solve the problem. Yeah, and then, you know, the other thing is sharing it with the community, with the medical community. So now, you know, there's some things with outpatient shoulder replacements and this opioid sparing protocol that this has now been almost standard of care. And and so uh, we've helped revolutionize that. And um, but it's it's not for for us. It's it's for our patients. And it's also to help the community. 
I never thought about that before, about the opioid epidemic and when the waste surgery is done, how it's done in the best interest of the patient from a recovery standpoint, just the impact that you're making, not just on that one person's body and their recovery, but also on this terrible thing that's just created a disaster in this country. What's that feel like as a surgeon, Dr. Brolin, to know that you're doing great work, but then you're also adding value back to people's lives, their families, and society when you're also doing things in a way that, you know, really make it less needed for people to even have to experiment with that kind of, with those pain pills. Yeah, I mean, well, that's our role. And and so uh, that's our responsibility, and and we take that very serious, and and uh, and that's why we devote as much time and energy uh, to our practice as as we can, and and because you know medicine, we're fortunate enough to practice medicine and and be have a career as an orthopedic surgeon or shoulder surgeon, and that's very rewarding, and not many. People can go to work and 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 have as much gratification uh, that we do taking care of patients, but with that comes responsibility and and, uh, and not only to your community, but but really try to get patients back where they want to be and where they need to be uh, from uh, a functional standpoint, as well as uh, minimizing the risks uh, with any type of operative intervention or surgery. And a lot of times we try to avoid surgery when we can. And, and you know, as surgeons, of course, uh, we are here to provide uh, surgery if it's, if it's necessary. But a lot of times we try to avoid the operating room because that's what's best for the patient. And, and so, you know, kind of getting back to your, 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 your question is, is, you know, that's, that's, uh, at least for me personally, I think that's, that's my role, uh, within, within this community. Also our responsibility to this group, you know, the, the Campbell Clinic, we are fortunate to walk in the footsteps of giants here and we stand on their shoulders and they, those before us made incredible advances and did their part. And it's our job to, to move that forward and then pay it forward for folks that are going to come behind us. Dr. Thorat Morton, you told me that Dr. Azar recruited you, and you were the first specialist. We talked about this a minute ago here in shoulder elbow. But could you maybe share with what we just talked about? Can progress like that happen without, unless you have surgeons that have their own specialty across the country? Yeah, I think it's, said another way, I think it's very difficult for generalists to push back the frontiers of science. And that doesn't mean that there's not a role for generalists or that they don't put out good research, because I, I have seen good research from general orthopedic surgeons. But not not to be too simple about it, but division of labor was invented in Samaria like 10,000 years ago, right? I mean, so they figured out if you made wheels for the cart all day long, you ended up being better at that than somebody that made wheels half the time. So if you devote yourself to this particular area, be it shoulder, foot, fixing computers, whatever it is, if that is your singular focus, then you have a depth of understanding that that is probably that that I believe probably surpasses that of somebody who who does who dabbles. And so I, I think to to your question, I think that's why is that the deeper understanding of the issues and what are the problems that we face, I think probably drives our innovation our our innovation, but also our curiosity. This show is downloaded in different countries around the world. Dr. Throckmorton, is there anything that you want to share about research, sharing information about 
where things are today with orthopedics, but where things are headed that you, you really care about from a global standpoint and that needs to happen for the sake of people? Well, I, that, I really like that question. Um, I think that as the world is getting to be a smaller place, our relationship with our international colleagues is only is blossoming even more. We are fortunate just last week we hosted fellows from Korea. So the, the, our, the shoulder and elbow societies have these traveling fellowships where you go spend a period of time in, in other countries to for idea exchange and to learn how other – how other people uh, do shoulder surgery. So there's a fellowship that goes from the U.S. to Europe and vice versa. I was fortunate to do that back in 2015. And But there's also a Korean to U.S. fellowship and also vice versa. And we were fortunate to host those fellows from Korea last week. And, and it was really eye-opening to see how they think about problems, how they address problems. So it's it's the free exchange of ideas is what I'm getting at. And, and that is where I think the future lies because it's no longer just getting together with United States surgeons to try and solve problems. It's, it's an international uh, community that, that's going to work to solve these problems. Dr. Brolin, anything come to your mind there? Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at education now, um, a lot of the education in the past, right, was reading paper journal articles, uh, reading paper books. Now there's so many web-based services where, where there's a lot of education being done, where they watch surgical procedures. Uh, a lot of the uh, journals are now online. And so much of the education has been advanced just solely because of, of what we can get on the internet. Uh, so that allows for that exchange of, of ideas, which is great. And uh, you can see how different places in the world treat the same problem differently. And it may be because of technology. It may be just because of uh, some of these procedures haven't uh, been introduced yet. But there's definitely some differences, really, even Europe, Asia, and in North America on how you treat the same problem uh, differently. But but ultimately, hopefully, we can all get to a common understanding where this is the best solution for this problem. And and that will happen at some point, just it hasn't happened yet. When you, When you think about where things are and you think about just the major breakthrough with the reverse shoulder surgery that we talked about a little bit ago. Dr. Brolin, I'll start with you. What do you think needs to happen now or where are things headed that you're most excited about within your specialty for orthopedics that you think is coming down the pike? Yeah, it's, I mean, to take a step back is the good thing about shoulder surgery from at least from my perspective and uh, kind of being inquisitive and is we still have room for improvement, right? It's still maximizing outcomes after shoulder replacement. Uh, we still haven't necessarily figured out the best position or the placement of some of the components in, in the reverse shoulder replacement. But ultimately, it, the biggest advance is probably going to be uh, with soft tissue uh, and that being with the rotator cuff is if somehow uh, we can either prevent rotator cuff tears or we can somehow increase the healing rate uh, of rotator cuff tears, uh, then I think that is going to be a one single advance that will change shoulder surgery probably the most, at least in the foreseeable future. But um, there's varying opinions uh, on that, of course. Dr. Throckmorton, what do you think? Yeah, I think those are the those are the two main issues. I mean, we're so blessed to be practicing at this point because it's such a rapidly expanding field and there's such a wealth of innovation and thought and idea exchange that's going on right now in shoulder surgery that 
I mean, heck, I say things different now than I did six months ago. So, I mean, it, it, we're really learning in real time, and it's a very exciting time, and it really has been for the last 10, 15 years. I mean, it's really, it's really been great. Why does the rotator cuff heal so poorly? <laughs> I mean, like if we could figure that out, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. And it's a pretty humbling place to be as a, as a shoulder surgeon and have and have to look at folks and say, I don't know why your rotator cuff tear hurts because other people have this and it doesn't hurt them. Like we don't even if if we could even figure out why the rotator cuff hurts or how it hurts, that would be some sort of like quantum leap forward. I mean, that, that's in some ways that's how simple uh, we are, how basic some of our problems are. So I think technology is going to solve these problems. And, you know, we were probably in version 1.0 with the reverse because we went the joint replacement route, which is metal and plastic and machinery and stuff that we understand as orthopedic surgeons. The next evolution is probably going to be some sort of biologic therapy. And every company that we work with and know about is pouring billions of dollars into trying to make these problems an injectable solution. Now, I do remember when I was a medical student being told that by the time I was, you know, in the middle of my career or, or now, that uh, that ACL tears and rotator cuff tears would be an injectable problem. And we are not even close to that happening. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, uh, I think shoulder replacements are safe here for at least the, the next little while, but, it, but we're going to figure this out. I mean, uh, if there's anything that humanity has shown is that we can solve problems. And so they'll, um, there will be a time, I think, when we figure out how to make the rotator cuff heal and not have to do as many re- reverse replacements or rotator cuff repairs. So what you're saying is somebody in medical school, they're, they were on the right track. They're just a little early. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> All right. As we wrap up, Dr. Brolin, I know you're not from Memphis. You went to the University of North Dakota Medical School, Concordia College. You did your residency here. If you go back 10 years ago and think about today, what's it mean to you to be here in Memphis, Tennessee, a city you didn't grow up in and be, be a surgeon at Campbell Clinic? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, first having the opportunity uh, to be at Campbell Clinic is is a privilege, and and so very fortunate with that, just because of you know Campbell Clinic meaning so much for me, uh, training here, but also uh, really kind of believing in in this institution, and how we go about and conduct business and in education and and, and leadership. Uh, Memphis uh, as a whole. I mean, this is a this is a community. It's it's unique in the fact that uh, it's a you know blue collar community at heart and it has a lot of grit. And, and but also, I just love the people. Right? It's the I'm used to you know kind of being having that North Dakota nice where you know you kind of have that upper Midwest where everyone is is cordial as well as this kind of southern charm down here. So I really have I have loved uh, the time spent in, in the Memphis community, and this is now home, right? And so after being here for now eleven or so years, uh, this is now home uh, to my family. This is all my 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 children know. And so I've enjoyed uh, my time so far, and and uh, and uh, it's been nothing but a, a pleasure. It just won't be any hockey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the one thing. So my my, you know, I grew up playing hockey, and um, uh, I have a son, and and that's the one thing I hurdle I had to overcome is my son's probably not going to play ice hockey. No travel uh, hockey. No, no travel hockey down here. But at the same time, is. Baseball is huge, right? Yeah. And so I was I was just on the baseball field with him uh, before this this meeting, and and so that and lacrosse, and there's plenty of 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 athletic uh, 
football, SEC football. I've been introduced to SEC football. I used to be a Big Ten football <laughs> fan, and then slowly I'm, you I'm might being, lose some patience. I'm being converted <laughs> to SEC football uh, uh, each day, and and so, but yes, no, I think. Uh, my experience been down here has been amazing, and, and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it at all. So very fortunate. Thank you. Dr. Throckmorton, to wrap up, you know, you, you're the first specialist to come here in shoulder elbow. From my understanding, you went to the University of Vanderbilt. You're from Iowa. You went to the University of Iowa Medical School, did your fellowship at Mayo, and now you're here. And you've got Dr. Brolin as a partner and we're talking about all these things and all the changes that have happened. And earlier, you also said that when you were recruited, Campbell Clinic was the gold standard. And so that's why you wanted to come here. What's it like for you at this point in your career, where things are and where things are headed and what you're continuing to look to build here? I don't think I could have scripted it any better. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to. I mean, this the being at the Campbell Clinic is, as Ty says, a privilege, but it's also amongst the finest orthopedic jobs in the world. I mean, I, and I, I, I am not understating that one little bit. So to have the opportunities that we have here to do patient care, research, educate residents, we're the original orthopedic residency. You know, that, that, that sort of legacy, it, it means a lot to somebody like me, and then have the opportunity to do leadership activities, that, that that combination of opportunities is extraordinarily rare, and we're, we're blessed to have it here. To get to Memphis, uh, sort of like time from the upper Midwest, but I've lived everywhere you can live, from Germany to San Francisco to Minnesota and everywhere in between, big cities and small towns, and I wouldn't trade this place. I mean, it would Memphis is Memphis, and it has its own unique issues just like every other place does. But like Ty said, I mean, my kids are from Memphis and, and I'm from Memphis now. And that's, that's what I say. This has been great. Appreciate both of y'all. And one last, I'll just share this. It's, there's a pattern each and every time and that's innovation, creating movement, bringing people in that are smart, talented, committed to the patient, and then making things better because things come here that didn't exist prior. So it's, it's really fun just as an outsider to see that trend time and time again, and then to be with people like yourself that are so passionate about the patient, but the data, the research, collaboration, all the things you do nationally and internationally to just continue to, so it's fun to see it, doesn't matter what the specialist, who the specialist is, but we definitely saw that today. It's nice that we're consistent. Yeah, that's right. Rock on. Appreciate right. it, guys. Thank yeah. you all. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search the Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon.